many ways, the last words we had just sung is a, a summary, a theme statement of what the Apostle Paul teaches us in Galatians chapter 6. My glory, all the cross. My boast, all the cross. And that's what we're going to see here in Galatians. So I invite you to turn there with me in your Bible. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you here, it's on page 975. We come to the conclusion of this letter. Uh, We're going to have one more sermon um, in this letter to the Galatians. I'm not going to finish it this week, uh, but Lord willing, I believe in two weeks. Um, Next week, Pastor Sam from Jersey City will be preaching for us, and then I believe I'm on for the next week, and so we'll conclude Galatians then. Uh, But we want to look at these final verses, and we'll come back to them again, but verses 11 through 18 of Galatians 6. This is the holy and inspired word of God. Verse 11. See with, with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus." The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul gives a, uh, an exhortation to the church, and there he says to us, he says to us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's quite interesting when Paul says that we are not to be conformed to this world, the Greek word for world there is the word aeon, which we translate elsewhere as age. Do not be conformed to this age. There's a certain pattern of living, a certain pattern which we live for certain things and value certain things and consider certain things important. He's saying, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And in many ways, as we've worked our way through this letter to the Galatians, that's been our aim, that we might not be conformed to this age, but our minds might be transformed as we think upon our existence as those who belong to the new creation that the Apostle Paul proclaims. As he says in verse 15, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision counts, but what does count? A new creation. And this new creation is what Jesus Christ has brought and inaugurated in his death and his resurrection. Do not be conformed to this age. And another reason we're not to be conformed to this age actually goes back to that sort of programmatic verse in Galatians. A verse we've returned to time and time again. I think every sermon we've looked at, we've gone back to this verse and and seen how it grounds all that Paul has to say in this letter. And that verse is chapter 1, verse 4, right from the very beginning. 
Do not be conformed to this age, Romans 12, verse 2. But notice what Paul says, Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. He speaks of Jesus Christ as he who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Right? So Paul is saying, do not be conformed to this age. This is the age from which Jesus Christ has delivered you, and therefore do not be conformed to this age. Right? You can see the link. This was a very important concept for the Apostle Paul. And so as we've thought through this letter to the Galatians, part of what we have been seeking to accomplish and desiring God to do is that we might not be conformed to this age, as the false teachers who had come to Galatia were and others were, but instead our our minds might be transformed, and we might be transformed by the renewal of our minds as we think about our existence as those who belong to Jesus Christ and the new creation. That's what the Apostle Paul is uh, desiring for us to understand, that our minds might think differently than the world, and instead they might be set on the new creation. And so as Paul comes now to a conclusion in this letter, he, he hits a, a final note, which in many ways summarizes all he said, but brings before us what is of most importance, that we might begin to think this way, that we might have before our eyes not this age, but the new creation. And, and, and the fact that he says in verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand, his point in some sense is to put this final paragraph in bold font, right? To italicize it all, put it all in bold, that this might be the final note, the final thing that these people and we ourselves might receive from the Apostle Paul. And at the heart of that final note comes verse 14, which again ties into this Do not be conformed to this age. Christ has delivered us from it and set our minds on the new creation. He says in verse 14, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is at the heart of this passage. Everything else finds its lifeblood from that reality that Paul will boast only in the cross of Jesus Christ. And he desires that we, as the people of God, also are those who boast glory only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's that cross that we identify ourselves with Christ, that we die to this world and are raised to a new creation in Christ already. And so as we think about this passage, I have two points, two questions for us to to ask and answer. First, in what are you boasting? In what are you boasting? And second, what are the implications of what you boast in? What are the implications of our boasting? Now, you might think you're getting off easy with only two points, but the second point actually has three points in it, so there's four points in total. We'll see how it goes. So our first question, right? In what are you boasting? Now, some of the children here might be a little bit confused, right? Why are we talking about boasting uh, mom and dad tell me not to boast. And of course, the parents are right to tell you not to boast because often we boast in the wrong thing, right? We boast in ourselves. We bo- boast in our accomplishments. We boast in something that we have done. And of course, we're not to do that as Christians. We're not to boast in ourselves and our accomplishments. But the Apostle Paul here is speaking about the proper kind of boasting, specifically boasting in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We as the people of God are called to boast in that which is proper for us, namely the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, God had created us that we might boast in him, that we might glory in him. He created us as his image bearers, that we might reflect his glory back to him in a boast of his greatness and of his power. But we know that as God has created us for that purpose, sin has penetrated into the creation through the uh, sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And that because of that, rather than boasting in the Lord, we've turned in on ourselves to boast in that which really is not worthy of being boasted in. What we, what we do, what we accomplish. And so, as Paul is writing uh, to the Galatians, right, he wants them to boast in what is proper. And as he calls them to boast in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's, he's, he's recognizing that this is a very startling and a very strange thing for people in this world to boast in. The cross, as Paul says in verse 14, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the cross was not only a cruel instrument of death, right? It wasn't just intended to kill somebody in the most gruesome and painful way. It was also intended to be the most extreme form of shaming somebody in this world. It killed and it shamed. In fact, there's a, an early quote by Cicero um, talking about the cross. Uh, and he says this, Cicero was a first century uh, Roman orator. He had said, let the very name of the cross be far away, not only from the body of a Roman citizen, right? No Roman could be brought to such low shame. Let it be not only far away from the body of a Roman citizen, but even from his thoughts, his eyes, his ears, right? The cross was that which was most despicable, most shameful. And for somebody to endure the cross was for them to, in many ways, endure that which was most despised of this world. And so when the Apostle Paul then goes to say to the church of himself, but then also of us, far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're confronted with a startling mystery. We're confronted with something that we had seen earlier in uh, the first service, but again, a, a startling mystery of the gospel. That the glory that the Apostle Paul desired was a glory that required dying to this world. That the glory that the Apostle Paul desired was the glory of one who was crucified, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason for this, and the reason that Paul can boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, is that he had come to realize that the glory of this world, right, that which this world boasts in, whether it's the glory that comes from man, or the praises of men, or the accomplishments that we can do, Paul recognized that that glory is fading. And that glory, while spectacular for a moment, dies and is gone, right? We've all experienced this, right? Maybe somebody praised you for something, right? They've, they gloried in you because you had a wonderful piano recital or you hit a, a game-winning walk-off home run, hit the buzzer beater, right? Or you did something of, of, of just immense, like, wow. And, and people praise that. But how long does that last, right? You've been praised before and it just fades away and 
Maybe we, we relive the glory days, right? That's kind of the phrase. But they're glory days. They're gone. They've passed away. And so, too, of all of the glory of this world, all that the world might boast in, fades. And Paul then recognized and set his sight on a glory that does not belong to this world. He set his eyes on the glory of a new creation. When the Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus, to Damascus, and the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him, right? Paul beheld glory that he had never seen before. And it causes him then to renounce all that he once had value in, right? His whole life before him, he renounces it all. That he might have Christ and Christ alone and the glory that belongs to him. And then Paul realized then that it was through the cross, that through, through which the world sees as foolish, and what the world stumbles upon, Paul recognized that it was the glory of God, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it was through that cross, as he says in, in chapter 1, verse 4, that Christ gave himself for our sins. It's there on the cross, Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. All right, so the question then becomes very pointed to us, right? In what are you boasting? In what are you glorying in? Are you glorying in that which the world glories in? Boasting in that which the world boasts in? Or are you following the Apostle Paul as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ to boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, it's folly, as Paul says to the Corinthians, folly to the Gentiles, a stumbling block to the Jews, but it is the power of God for salvation. And therefore, that is our boast. Our boast is in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And even just to highlight this point, in many ways, it would have sounded very odd to the original listeners of this, if they read this to the world around them, to hear the word cross and Lord in the same sentence. How could he who is our Lord be he who died on a cross of shame? But Paul, again, is wanting us to see that it's what the world despises and what the world considers weak and what the world looks down upon that God uses to conquer, that God uses to overcome, that would be through the death of his son on the cross on behalf of our sins, that he would deliver and save us. And therefore, in light of that reality, our boast is to be in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And a life, as we're going to see in terms of its implications, a life that boasts in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is one, then, that follows Christ. Christ himself issued that decree, right? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That is what the Apostle Paul desires for us then, that the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ would shape our lives, would shape our desires, would shape our values, would shape what we are pursuing, and that we ourselves would say also that I have have been crucified to the world, and the world has been crucified to me because I believe in Jesus Christ. So we'll draw some of these implications out. Before we do, I want to read just a quick quote here as a point of transition. One commentator had said this, The cross of Jesus Christ is central to every aspect of the gospel 
and the Christian life, right? It's why Paul said that those who, who um, remove the cross and the need for Christ dying, if they bring you any other gospel, let them be anathema, let them be cursed of God, because no other gospel can save. The gospel of the cross of Christ at the, is at the center of the gospel and the Christian life. He goes on to say, the death and resurrection of Jesus are more than the foundation of our individual salvation from the curse of sin and the means by which we are justified before God and adopted into his family. The death and resurrection of Jesus are the central turning point in all of history, for through them the present evil age has been decisively nullified and God's new creation has come into existence. So this is, what the, this is what Paul is getting at here, what it means for us then to boast. And so we as the people of God are to boast only in the cross of Christ. And so our second point then, with three points, what then are the implications? What are the implications for a life that boasts only in the cross of Christ? And there's three of them. There's implications for our, for our relationship to God, for our relationship to one another, and our relationship to the world. So first, what are the implications of our boasting with regard to our relationship to God? Paul, at the end of this uh, section here, refers to the church as the Israel of God. And his point here is to say that all that God had promised to Israel is now being fulfilled uh, in the church, filled with both Gentiles and Jews, filled with people from every tribe, tongue, and nations. He refers to them as the people of God. And he draws this from Isaiah, uh, and, and in a next sermon we look at, we'll consider more of the background to this and its significance, but he's referring to the people of God as the Israel of God. And Paul is saying that if our boast is in the cross of Jesus Christ, then I, my relationship to God is not going to be defined by the efforts of my own hands, that my relationship to God is not going to be one that I repair through my good works, but rather that my relationship to God is one that is based upon the fact that he has given me a mediator, a son, the Lord Jesus Christ. My relationship to God is not based upon my performance, but what Jesus Christ has done for me. Right, A life that boasts in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his cross says and recognizes that it was nothing less than the death of Jesus Christ that brought me back to God. We've said this before, that the cross of Jesus Christ is the loudest declaration that God could give that your works cannot save you. The fact that his son is there, dead, his son is there hanging in the most shameful manner is the loudest declaration that your performance and your good works cannot make you right with God. Paul was making this point all throughout Galatians, especially in chapters 3 and 4. It's not by works of the flesh, but by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as I believe on him who died for me. To claim that my good works makes me right with God is to spit more in the face of the cross of Christ and his work of salvation and sending his son. The cross of Jesus Christ reminds us that salvation is by faith alone, believing in Jesus Christ alone, apart from works. 
And therefore, all who believe in Jesus Christ, no matter what you have done, where you have been, what your life even might look like right now, all who believe in Jesus Christ are justified and made right before God. It's for this reason that we love the Reformation. uh, We're in that month, right? October 31. And I know, well, actually, I won't give stuff away. There might be some some stuff coming uh, that we've been working on with some of the people here uh, later this month. But the Reformation is so glorious, and we love what took place then because they recovered that reality, among other things as well. That salvation is by faith alone. And it's also why, with much seriousness, we, we, we can refer to the Roman Catholic Church as, as the Belgian Confession says, a false church. And the reason, and one of the many reasons, is because once the Reformation took place, there is then a counter-Reformation. So the Roman Catholic Church is now countering the Reformation, trying to stop it. And they gather in this council, the Council of Trent, and they pronounce all of these declarations, these canons, And they say, uh, very pointedly, very straightforwardly, that anyone who believes in justification by faith alone, apart from works, is cursed of God. That's on the books of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I have family members in Rome, in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, We believe that there, there can be true Christians in that church. But for Rome to denounce anyone who believes in justification by faith alone on their books is a serious and grave error. And it goes against what the Apostle Paul is teaching here. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. As I boast in that cross, I recognize that it's not on the basis of my works, but on faith alone that I am made right with God. Huge implications for the Christian life. Huge implications because uh, as we recognize that we have sinned against God, our consciences may accuse us, but then I look to Christ, I look to his cross, and I find peace, I find mercy, I find grace. And that's the only place where that is found. So as I boast in the cross of Christ, it it affects my relationship to God. And secondly... There's implications for how we relate to one another. How we relate to one another. Right? If the cross of Jesus Christ is my boast, then I have now renounced boasting in everything in this world. And as I've renounced boasting in everything in this world, that I no longer need to view other people as competition. I no longer need to view myself in relation to other people and Rejoice in their downfalls and their shortcomings because it makes me look better. Paul was warning against this earlier. Right? As I boast in the cross of Jesus Christ, I no longer have to think of myself as the master standing over other people, imposing my will and my preferences, and requiring of people what I desire of them. That's legalism, as Paul again warned against earlier in this letter. But when I boast in the cross of Christ, I've died to those things. So rather than trying to stand as a master over people, I then can come under, as Paul calls us, to be the slave of all people, to serve one another, and even to fulfill the law of Christ by bearing one another's burdens. We'd spoken about this in previous weeks, right? There are those who are burdeners and those who carry the burdens of others. 
And at a life of boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ, having died to those things, we then can boast, or rather bear, one another's burdens. That's what Paul is getting at in these verses here throughout, uh, you know, surrounding verse 14. Right, you notice what the false teachers are boasting in. It is those, verse 12 says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh, right? That which has, can, has a, an appearance to it, what we can see. It's they who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh, right? And Paul's point is saying, in a very specific instance, right, nobody here is, is seeking to, again, implement this, but Paul is saying that they are desiring to boast in what we can see, in what has value in the present age. Paul is saying our boast is not found in this age. And therefore, unlike the false teachers who are merely using the people, we then can serve one another and relate to one another according to the grace of God. Right? So a life that boasts in the cross of Jesus Christ doesn't view other people and getting them to do your will and your bidding as sort of notches in your belt or trophies in your case, right? As the false teachers were. But instead, we serve one another and carry one another's burdens. We've died to this world and have been freed to serve one another in love. So one final implication that uh, boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ has for us is that it also affects our relationship to the world, our relationship to the world. It's why the Apostle Paul says, I have died to the world, right? The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And this is how we ought to reckon ourselves as well as, as Christians. No longer conformed to this age, no longer caught up in its ways and its value systems, but instead pursuing what Paul says it is a new creation, a new creation. As a point of contrast, right, the false teachers, they desired not the new creation, but the world. They had not died to the world. And therefore, as they face persecution, they, they try to avoid these things. But the church, as we have died to this world, recognizes that, that, that we ourselves are following the steps of our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. As the world has persecuted and shamed him, so the world may persecute and shame his people. And Paul says, so be it. Paul himself can boast, in a sense, and brag that his own body bears the marks of Jesus. That the stonings and the whippings and the, and the severe beatings that he endured for the sake of Christ, Paul is saying, if you want to boast in something, boast in that. Because in that, he's identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. And insofar as we are identified with Christ and we suffer for the name of Christ, we know that we have died to this world, but that we will not be those who are homeless and displaced, for God will bring us into a new creation. That is where our hope and our longing is set upon. Paul puts us and makes us think upon that. And then he says to us in verse 19, all who walk by this rule, right? All who walk conformed and looking to the new creation, all who look and, are, and walk by the spirit of the new creation, filled with the fruit of the spirit, who look to Christ, conform to his image, belong to him, right? If you walk by this rule, then peace and mercy be upon them. 
these things belong to us as uh, the people of God. And it's the implications of boasting in the cross of Christ. And therefore, I'm not to boast in what the world boasts in, but I boast in the cross of Christ. Folly to the Gentiles, a stumbling block to the Jews. And so as we come to a conclusion here, I want us uh, to think upon uh, these words from a very popular hymn. Uh, Actually, we'll sing it after the sermon here. How deep the Father's love for us. And in there he says, and we sing, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. May we as a church, right, what defines us, what marks us, what characterizes us, may it be that we boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ because he is the one who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. And he did this not out of his own whim, but according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to lay down his life that he might take it up again in new creation. Father, we thank you that you have also in Christ caused us who have believed upon him to die to this world and to raise to new life. Help us then as his people to live for his glory and to boast in his cross alone, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.